Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? Time to get out of the cold and hit Orlando for Dev Intersection? What? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's right. March 25th to 28th at the Swan Hotel in Orlando for another great Dev Intersection. All your favorites are going to be there, including Scott Guthrie and Scott Hanselman. Ah, the greater and lesser Scott. Yes. And if sequel is your thing, Paul Randall and Kim Tripp are, as usual, running an awesome set of sequel sessions. And this year at Dev Intersection, we have a special emphasis on new artificial intelligence technologies, including deep learning, cognitive services, and more. And of course, all the latest web tech, Angular, C Sharp, Visual Studio, all your favorites. So go to devint.netrocks.com right now and register. Sign up for a workshop as well, and you'll get some cool hardware. We'll see you there. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. On day three of NDC London. The last day. The last day. That's fine. But this is a very exciting show for us because Mr. Scott Guthrie is here. We'll be talking to him in just a minute. Indeed. Yes. It's been a while since we've had him on the show. Yeah. He's he's been busy. Yes. We're breaking a few trends here, and uh, I'm going to break another trend with Better Know Framework. So run the crazy music. Awesome. All right, dude, what do you got? It's more like a self-imposed rule. Remember I told you I would never again talk about Kickstarter campaigns? Yes. Because we we said, oh, that looks cool to one, and then it turned out to be completely disastrous. Disastrous. Yeah. However, I want to talk about this one, whether or not it's real. Um, the world's first graphene battery USB-C wow. power charger for cell phones. A graphene battery USB-C, huh? Yeah. Apollo is the name of it. On Kickstarter, and uh, they had a ten thousand dollar goal. Now they're up to one hundred and seven thousand dollars. So, they so were- clearly, there's other people who want this to be true too. Yes, that's right. That's it really was interesting. Fully funded in under twenty four hours. Holy man! And they claim that you can fully charge your phone in twenty minutes. Huh? See, I think that's more of a factor of the phone than the battery. You think so? Absolutely. How quickly can the 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 battery itself inside the device take on charge. Mm. So, yeah. But I guess you're going to throw as many watts at it as you want. Right. And, uh, you know, it's just, I think at some point the, the phone itself is going to go, nope. Yeah. That is interesting. Yeah. Well, I knew you'd have an interesting comment about it because it's been a while since we talked about graphene. Sure. And it's supposedly many miraculous, wondrous uh, properties. Yeah, but, I just uh, don't understand why people think a power pack is the thing that sp- sets the speed of charging and not the device. That is a really good point. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, hey, I want a graphene battery to exist. Yeah. I totally uh, I agree. Heck, I might even back the project. Mm. You know, I don't know if I'll ever see my money again. Yeah. But that's happened to me a few times. Yep. You, know, you kind of have to think of it as a gamble. Well, yeah. Yeah. You're exactly right. And while we're recording this... The Kickstarter's still going. By mm-hmm. the time this publishes, it won't be. Four days to yeah, go. It's four now, days yeah. to go. We're shooting this in January. It comes out in February. So So yeah. who knows? This could be a complete ruse by now. It's not enough money. <laughs> you know, my my mindset has always been it's the ten million dollar Kickstarter yeah. where they where the guy's gonna go at the end of it. Thanks for the cash, suckas, and yeah. take off. Right. right? But well, we'll, they literally pay out the moment it ends if it makes the threshold. Right. We'll revisit this and uh, and report back and see what happens. But that's what I got today. Who's, that's awesome, dude. It could be. Who's talking to us, my friend? Grabbed a comment off of show 1471, which we did at NDC Oslo. 
back in 2017, so just last year. Mm-hmm. And this was the going serverless panel. Yeah. You know, you talk about, ma, you know, here we are sitting with the guy who helps make the cloud come true. Mm-hmm. This was the conversa- one of the conversations about new cloud technology. That panel was Rob Connery, Lynn Langett, and uh, Matthias Brandewinder. Yeah. Uh, great conversation. You know, we went all over the place. And the reason I picked those three folks is I knew they were all doing serverless differently. Right. You know, there's the Azure function side. There's the AWS Lambda side. Mm-hmm. Like, there were many choices there. And Lee Odes has this awesome comment because he talks about something else. Okay. He says, hey, this was a great episode, but no one talked about AWS step functions. Okay. I didn't even know they existed. I'm loving them and using them to provide the plumbing between groups of lambdas. Hmm. This leaves my lambdas as simple and single responsibility as possible. And then I pass JSON messages through the, quote, pipeline. So hmm. the step functions, actually, he goes on to explain this pretty well. So, for example, one lambda to process data, another one to call a third-party system, and another to store a part of the JSON to Dynamo. Mm. storage mechanism mm-hmm. retries on failure for each step are built in because this is so step function is actually playing a workflow role Neat. here so it's where your recovery options are it's like all of that plumbing yeah. so that you can keep your individual functions you know really pure you can fork the execution path based on a return value and you get nice visual diagrams of what path the execution took the input and output of each step and so on so we've broken up each business events like a new user and create a step function to handle it. So they're literally mm. defining a workflow that calls into these. With lambdas. all these little functions. That's right. Yeah. If we wanted to extend the functionality, such as sending an email to a user, we build in a new Lambda and modify the step function. Neat. In a, and add a call to step into it. No code changes are necessary on any of the existing parts. And so that's the important it's thing. It's all about the dependencies, yeah. right? Yeah. And step functions are immutable, so you always create new ones optionally using an existing step function as a template. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I love in a comment. I feel smarter at the end of it. (laughs) (laughs) That's really neat and a great thought. And we're now going to harass a vice president from Microsoft about why it doesn't exist in Azure. It probably Uh, does, actually. I I, I think he'll probably (laughs) tell us that. Uh, So, Lee, thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media because we publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there or read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin, he's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. They're serverless by design. (laughs) They have an awesome workflow. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. How do you introduce this guy? I don't know. He's wearing a red shirt. Uh, (laughs) He's awesome. Uh, Uh, He has more patents than uh, anybody else that I know of. I don't know. Actually, have you got a lot of patents? I have a decent amount. Yeah. Yeah, I've got six. I've got a. Maybe 20 or 30 or so. Well, I clearly win because I have zero. <laughs> so <laughs> Mine are all in performance tuning stuff from Strange Loop. Yeah. But uh, you could be all over the map. Yeah, a lot, a lot with sort of ASP.NET and yeah. .NET in the early days. I haven't yeah. got a patent recently. Yeah. But you don't do any real work anymore. Slack yeah. In. Yeah, 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 yeah. But... Um, uh, yeah, you have to be kind of pretty directly involved yeah, in it to yeah. get the patent. Well, so, and, and hmm. yeah... It, I got it. I know you love writing code. Mm-hmm. I see you do it whenever you possibly can. I've watched you work with friends of mine on different on different demo projects and so forth. 
you've got to struggle over best use of your time at some times because you have so much influence in so many different areas and a tremendous number of people reporting to you. I don't know that you get to do what you enjoy. Yeah, why are you wasting time with us? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, you know, the part of the reason I do these, um, so I'm on a speaking tour right now in Europe. And yes, so I'm doing the Red Shirt Tour. Yeah, so I think it's seven events in like nine days. Or oh, There's a weekend goodness. in between, so I get Saturday and Sunday off. That's but uh um, yeah, it's fun. I mean, it's basically, I do kind of like five hours of talking in each city mm-hmm. and, um, with lots of demos, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, like 44 demos or something. And so it's, you know, it's a slide or two demo, slide or two demo. Yeah. I, I just did the keynote here in NDC this morning and it was, you know, it was probably of 60 minutes, 45 of it was demos. Yeah. Nice. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's both, I think kind of fun in the sense of, you know, I believe in kind of how do you build products that, when you show it to people, they get excited. Yeah. And so it's, I'm much more of a fan of show, don't tell. Yeah. Um, and then build your product so that when you show them, it is exciting. Yeah. Um, and then also, you know, it's, it's a great opportunity for me to just be hands on with the product. And there's nothing like, you know, having to talk for an hour in depth on a topic to an audience of people that might already be experts on the topic to force you as the speaker to become really step really up. Good yeah. at it. And so, you know, it's, and I always come back with, you know, a list of usability items I want people to fix. Yeah. And, These things um, could have been easier. Yeah. And so it's, you know, it's a really good way for me to kind of just stay grounded and stay close to the tech and, you know, and it's, and it's fun to be able to show it to people. And I know you interact with folks like well, James Montemagna, who's a friend of the show, friend of ours, been on tour with us yeah, and so yeah. forth. I've seen him on stage with you a number of times yep. and, and I've, I've had a chance to have conversations like you're a demanding keynoter. He works very hard for you. <laughs> <laughs> But I also, I have noticed that his own stuff is phenomenal. Yeah. Like his examples, the stuff That's he's great. building in, in GitHub and so forth yeah. for us to help in mobile development. I think I'm going to blame some of that on you. Like I think you, <laughs> I think you push pretty hard to, yeah. to really show off the potential of this stuff. Yeah. Well, you know, I think one of the things that we're trying to do is, um, you know, it's not just talk about the features in the esoteric sense mm-hmm. and like, oh, here's a hello world demo. But like, you know, how do we try to build more real world apps? Yeah, and share more uh, kind of app code as opposed to just a feature code, mm-hmm. and um, you know I think really you know anything that's developer based or cloud based, you know if it's too abstract or if it's too kind of wishy washy, mm. it's just really hard to to use. Yeah, and now, it's, um, it's and it's part of the strategy that you're you're driving us as developers to a set of platform tools that we use. Like life would be pretty simple if you were just selling VMs, and it's up to us as developers yeah. to put everything we need in the VM. But yeah. you don't, that seems to not be the strategy. Yeah. I mean, I think what we're certainly seeing is um, sort of an evolution of the cloud. I mean, having the ability to spin up VMs and run arbitrary code is super important sure. because there's always some part of your system where either you might want to do something completely custom or have, you know, complete flexibility and control over. Right. And being able to always drop down and just run your own custom VM with whatever you want mm. is super powerful. Yeah. And, you know, we certainly found with the cloud, um, Azure didn't originally have that support. Mm-hmm. And so that was a big gap that we had and, and an issue. But at the same time, you know, if, 
if as a developer you're deploying everything just into a raw VM that you then have to patch and maintain and right. wire up your own load balancer. Who and, would do that? You know, <laughs> I, I have. I mean, that's how we basically started we, yeah. when we moved all the .NET Rock stuff. But over, that was a lift and shift move. It was right? a lift and shift move, and you know, we're that thing is still running, and yeah. I still am like nervous about it. You know, it's well, like, you get you you sort of get uncomfortable touching it. Yeah, you're, you're sure not. And then, then, but you've also peeled a lot of things out of yes, it. Yes, I like, have. I think it's a. I feel like we're a good case study it makes me comfortable that you first you shift the vm make sure everything's working and we're alive yeah and then bit by bit we've made azure websites and things that have just peeled right arguably the most important bits i think it's very challenging to even show enough value to Mm. get to the point of turning that vm off that's it right down to the 20 percent, and the 20 percent is just not that important and the problem is you don't really have like a dashboard that tells you everything that's running on it and where it is yeah and you know at some point when you pull the plug you're gonna find out yeah it's like i'm gonna i'm literally (laughs) gonna have to stop this vm and listen for the scream that's right (laughs) at some point (laughs) and i think you know for a lot of apps that move to the cloud you know doing a lift and shift is a great step one sure because it you know basically gets you into the cloud and then the thing I always tell people is that don't ever arbitrary. Re- if something's working, don't rewrite it unless you have a good reason to. Right. Yeah. And so, I know, felt, and I felt like we've done that. We've yeah, peeled we off what we need. Yeah. And so when you need exactly. have, you know, we need when you want to invest in new capabilities, that's a great time to say, sure. oh, and I'm going to refactor this part of right. the app or this part and yeah. take advantage of something that Azure's giving us. You know, yeah. And so you know, and, and so you know, we've seen lots of cases. Whether you know our web app service, which is super popular. Mm. You know, at some level, you kind of go, well, how hard is it to run a web server in a VM? Mm-hmm. It's not that hard. Yeah, but it's but, not the best use of your time either. But it's not the best use of your time. And True. especially when you start saying like, oh, now I want to do continuous integration and yep. continuous delivery. Oh, now I want to do log aggregation hey, across dude, five VMs to be able yeah. to do cert management exactly. or, you know, patch management mm-hmm. or et cetera, et cetera. And, and, you know, that's where, you know, even a service like our web app, service, which is a very well-known pattern of an app, yeah. can add tremendous value mm-hmm. uh, just because it makes it easier. And, and certainly then when you look at things like serverless computing or you know, take, for example, some of the new or- container orchestration work we're yeah. doing with our they, AKS they, Kubernetes mm-hmm. service yep. or something like Cosmos DB in particular for things like planet scale data, yeah. you know, that's where you know, these having these sort of finished services that come with an SLA that have patching and scale and a whole bunch of these built-in features that have good monitoring, that have good role-based access control all baked in can really make the difference. And I think one of the other things that we're trying to do consciously with the cloud is how do we not create a new API for everything and and force you to sort of say, okay, I'm betting my entire future on this thing. Um, In some cases we're doing that, but also with Cosmos DB as an example, which is a really phenomenal service from a capability perspective. You know, we now have a MongoDB API yep. to it, a Cassandra API to it. They talk Spark about lift API, and shift. The idea Gremlin. that I can take an existing app that runs on Mongo yeah. Yeah. and simply change that provider string to point to a Cosmos DB instance. Yeah, and now mm-hmm. get the ability to scale around the world. Yeah, and and I, having done curve. geo redundant replicated databases in the past. It's hard. <laughs> I never want to do it again. Yeah, you don't want to do that <laughs> no. on VMs. No, no sir. And, and so the idea, the, to me, Cosmos DB is one of those examples of this is cloud distinct. Yeah. Right? That this is taking all of that complexity of a distributed, a geo distributed data store and saying, it's just a service. 
you just write to it. It handles itself. And all of the infrastructure rules are configured separately. They're, they're, they're a separate issue. I think for a service like that, the, the thing I talked about a little bit in the, my keynote today is um, it also lets you to build new types of apps that you just wouldn't have built before. Right. And so, you know, you think about, you know, a lot of the apps that we build today are still very uh, focused on the country that we live in. Yep. Mm. You know, it's they're not truly global. No, they're certainly not. You know, and partly because if you want to run it in the U.S. and have customers in Europe and customers in Asia and customers in Australia, the latency involved. Right. You know, yeah. you know, I always tell people you can't ever go faster than the speed of light. Yeah, and no. so you it's, know, if your customers of, are thousands of miles away from your yeah. app, it's never going to Doesn't be. Doesn't matter how straight that wire is. Yes. it's a long wire. It's a long wire, and uh, you know, the general rules. You know, it's about I think it's 140 miles of cable adds one millisecond right. of latency. Yeah, that's just speed like of light. Yeah. yeah, and so you think about uh, you know, web page. You load it. You're pulling seven or five, seven or eight different JavaScript or CSS files. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're thousands of miles away or, or going over tens of thousands of miles of cable, yeah. it's never going to be beyond a certain set. And we live with that today. But, mm. you know, in the world tomorrow, you know, when you can take advantage of a cloud and run an instance of the app in Australia and run an instance of the app in Europe and run yep. an instance of the app uh, in the U.S. Mm. And, and all the other countries, you know, you can suddenly get this, you know, amazing lightning fast performance. Right. Um and the data has been the part that's still the hardest to replicate. Sure. And that's where something like Cosmos DB is a game changer because mm-hmm. not only does it let you replicate it from a availability perspective, but if you can have active, active apps yeah. with data reconciling. So you have regionalized data. It's, that's, that's, a, yeah. that's an amazing and again, place. Doable with other techniques. Just hard. Like well, you need an expert. Guaranteed. I mean, you have a guarantee in terms of latency, right? Yeah. We guarantee single digit. Uh, millisecond response time yes crazy at, at the 99th percentile yeah. which is doubly crazy because it's not just average we're talking about you know, the 99th percentile and yeah. so yeah. You know, once you have that kind of capability um again you can build new types of apps and some of the stuff i showed you know talked about again in the keynote was how do you take that planet scale data that's you know rapid fire you can store petabytes of it it's replicated all over the world and then if you can combine that with serverless computing, mm. you, know, you can now, every time a data changes in the model, mm-hmm. you can actually run a serverless code execution. Right. And so now you can suddenly, every time someone, you know, views their shopping cart or visits a different page or, you know, scrolls through the comments on .NET Rocks, mm. you can be in the background running code that maybe is using AI to actually take that insight, that bit of data and turn it into insight and then push it back into the application so that on the next click you're showing, oh, here are the three other shows that you might be interested right. in. And that ability to start weaving in infinite amounts of data globally with asynchronous serverless code mm. Mm. that can actually execute and get smarter and then coupling that with AI, yeah. you know, really starts to change how we can and build apps. you don't apps. have to own the infrastructure. Like yeah. you don't. And Who you wants know, to? Building yeah. a system like that, that was global, you know, even say three years ago or five years ago, yeah. you were talking about like, I'd be a well-funded, you know, a well-funded startup. Yeah. With, with a set of enge- extraordinarily skilled engineers yeah. in different locations. Yeah. Like, and now we, you can do that. You know, we have a free trial in Azure and you can basically, and we have a, now it's a one year free trial. So you right. can actually a use year. Cosmos DB for a year. Wow. Wow. And that's so like, a good idea. You can now build that app for free. Yeah. 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 And, no, crazy. and actually see the value. Well, I would think somebody's at a place with an app where yeah. they're starting to look at what it's going to take to be geolocated. Yeah. And then have a year. I, I appreciate that because I know 90 days is enough time. 
Mm-hmm. Like you're not yeah. going to get all those things tested. A year's enough time to really do it. And the way that, you know, the, some of the, the, the way that the cloud economics are starting to kick in, you know, with things like our serverless computing option, I, mean, I told the story in the keynote today, if, you know, that we have a customer that uh, is in the kind of manufacturing space and are using IoT and a bunch of really advanced analytics, doing some really interesting stuff. And, you know, they did a, they started going live in production and they were firing off a billion of serverless events per day using our Azure function wow. service, and which is a lot. And yeah. then, you know, they call us, you know, I'm in a panic about a week afterwards and said, there's something wrong with your billing system. And, you know, we went, oh, what, what? And they said, you know, this is, it's $40. Uh, and that can't be right. That can't be right. And we said, oh, that can't be right. And, and um, you know, we went and followed up and investigated and came back to him and said, yeah, actually, it is right. It's $40. And, <laughs> uh, and they went yay. And we went, eh. Uh, you know, and, too and, little. They wanted to pay more. And, you know, but it, but it was, that was, you know, suddenly it was like, wow, you're saying we can we could execute a billion of these things for $40. Yeah. And then, you know, it's, it, again, it changes the, the equation where you start to go like, well, gosh, you know, if it's so cheap to get value, because, you know, in a billion AI calculations, you can add a lot of value. Mm. You know, it starts to say, well, gosh, you know, if we did a trillion, mm. it'd be $40,000. Yeah, but you know, but what can we do with a trillion? Yeah, it's a, trillion, okay. oh, well, a big number. It's, it's that's a, a big lot. number, and yeah. but it, you know, it starts to get you to kind of sort of say, well, you know, if, if I can do it at this scale, right? I can do it at ten x the scale, and it doesn't break the it's bank. Something you wouldn't even think about doing in the past, true? yeah, because you don't have that. And then suddenly you can attack different types of problems. And so you know, yeah. for Black Friday that just happened in November, you know, some of our retailers using, say, again, Cosmos DB, scale to one hundred trillion transactions that day. Wow. A hundred trillion. I That's thought that ridiculous. was a typo. Yeah, and right. um, and wow. I made the team go like, you know, like they really? And, you know, when you can start to do, and it's, you know, again, it's not because they had a hundred trillion visits to their website. Right. But it was basically, you know, every interaction, every shopping cart ad, mm. how can you in real time calculate next best action for that right. customer? Yeah. Um, and again, in the past, you wouldn't do that because it would have been, required you know a bunch of rocket scientists to figure out how to build it mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. and it would cost a fortune to run yeah and now you know the ability to sort of say let's spike out this idea in a couple hours that's crazy and then yeah. know that we can run it at a very small scale but we can also scale it to 100 trillion it, it's just it's mind-blowing it's and i think awesome. that's gonna be the fun time for a develop for us developers over the next couple of years is these problems that we just couldn't even Imagine. conceptualize right we can now do yeah Uh, Hold that thought for just a minute while we take a moment for a very important message. We've all come to expect that distributed databases can't be both globally consistent and scalable. But what if you didn't have to make trade-offs? What if you could have a fully managed database service that's consistent, scales horizontally across data centers, and speaks SQL? Introducing Cloud Spanner a mission-critical relational database service from Google Cloud Platform. Built from the ground up and battle-tested at Google for strong consistency and high availability at a global scale. Learn more about Cloud Spanner online at g.co slash getspanner. That's g.co slash getspanner. And we're back. You're listening to .NET Rocks. Carl Franklin, Richard Campbell, Scott Guthrie is here. We're talking about the amazing thing that is Azure and all of its... Uh, we're talking about serverless stuff and getting back to the comment that you read, mm-hmm. Richard, where the commenter 
Scott was talking about step functions. AWS step functions. AWS step functions. And we were talking about, hey, I wonder if something like that exists on Azure. Immediate, my mind immediately went to logic apps. And I, I, don't, I don't know if that was is really the appropriate uh, analog. but um. Yeah, I mean, log, well, logic apps is a lot more. But um, conceptually, yeah, I mean, it's the ability to create um, you know, long-running workflows. Mm-hmm. And in particular, the ability to stitch together multiple steps and take advantage of declarative connectors. Mm-hmm. So we have like, I think about 130 or 150 connectors now. And so, you know, we've got, you know, connectors, obviously not just to Azure services, but out to the third party. So the Salesforce is the, the world. Salesforce or Dynamics yeah. or Microsoft Teams or mm-hmm. Slack mm. or SharePoint on prem, mm. right? Even yeah. Yeah. and or SAP or Oracle or, or SQL. When I like this idea, again, it, this is platform play of, I don't have to write the code to figure out how to log into a Slack. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. a Slack connector. You give it the credentials and off it goes. Yeah. And then, you know, that connector has built in monitoring. And so I, mm-hmm. you know, I can basically not only build an app, but you know, the, you know, the things I always like to show is, you know, now let's actually show how from an IT perspective or from a DevOps perspective, I can actually monitor this workflow and sure. know when something's going wrong or when it's taking longer. How many calls are and made. debug it and, mm-hmm. and et cetera. And I'll probably get a security audit path out of that as yep. well. You get building security is what aren't compliance checking and sure. all that stuff. Yeah. And, so, and that's all code you didn't write. Yep. Yeah. You know, it was just, it just came in the box. And I think, you know, again, I think the, the pricing model we now have, um, you know, again, you could do kind of millions of these things for peanuts for, for dollars. Yeah. Yeah. And and a uh, small number of dollars, yes. and um, yeah, a lot of these workflows, like a million things, don't change typically in your mm. CRM system sure. in, a, in a month. But if you can sort of easily stitch together those things, and then what's nice about Logic Apps is, in addition to the built-in connectors we have, you can plug in your own APIs and your own serverless code, mm. and so uh, the ability to kind of take advantage of these built-in connectors to get the data and munch the data, but then. I, I can always drop down and I can write a C-sharp function right. that is going to write some custom procedural code. Yep. I'm going to run it in a serverless way. Yeah. And again, that doesn't add to my bill because I could do a billion invocations of it for 40 bucks. Yep. And, um, you know, that, that, that really starts to let you do some pretty amazing stuff. And, you know, for so many of, I think, the organizations that we work in, you know, some of the highest value code that we can write is when we enable you to easily integrate all the different systems you already have right and so if your organization is using office or it's using gmail or you're using slack or using teams or using sharepoint or using box or you're using dropbox yeah and and so forth like being able to sort of say oh you know someone changed something or there's a customer that's upset or you know there's a Mm -hmm. high prospect customer visiting our website let's kick off a workflow who's going to reach out to that person and make yeah, them yeah. happy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even things like as a developer, you know, if you're using visual studio team services or TFS or jive, or you're using Jira or, you know, any of these, uh, different tools that we use, you know, for source control. Um, you know, one of the demos I showed even this morning in my keynote was, you know, how do I take a GitHub, uh, webhook event yeah. of just an issue being raised mm. And basically write code that allows me to you know, post it into a team room or a Slack channel um, or send an email to someone to take an action. And, you know, it's five lines of code. Right. And, you know, if you run it serverlessly, it's probably going to cost you less than five cents a month, mm. <laughs> even yeah. if you get tens of thousands of issues. Yeah. And I'm not going to say that VMs are expensive, but... Y- 
you know, you have to buy a whole co- compute for, for running a VM for stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like, you wouldn't make a separate VM for every one of those instances. You would probably consolidate a bunch of them. Yeah. Still, it's like, I think you'd end up spending more money. Yeah, I mean, I'd say probably about, uh, certainly for anything that's occasional. Right. Mm-hmm. Serverless almost always saves you money. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, if you've got, uh, you know, you know, other patterns I always talk about is, you know, for your front end website that's getting hit a lot, it probably might not save you money. It might just mm-hmm. be cheaper to have, uh, it probably would be cheaper to have a web app, a web app versus um, a VM. inside Azure than a yeah, VM. Yeah. But, um, but you know, you think about like the back end systems of your website. And so anytime mm-hmm. someone places an order or asks you to do something, anything you time you put something in a queue and then dequeue it, that dequeuer is perfect for serverless computing. Mm-hmm. Sure. And it's not great, it's just great from a cost perspective, but it's also great from just an architectural pattern perspective Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because you don't have a for loop polling and the for loop polling a queue is not going to work once you get to thousands of messages uh, per second. Then you have to own all that plumbing, essentially. We're working uh, on an app for a customer in Azure right now that uh, has a combination of functions for the the quick things that don't take a lot of time to do and uh, worker roles for the long-running processes. And that works just great. Yeah. I mean, it's a perfectly awesome combination of yeah. things. To We're even doing things now for the, you know, say the long running stuff. That's kind of cool. There's something called durable functions, um, which is, I think, in preview right now. And it allows you to maintain state across function invocations. And so oh. if you, for example, want to go to sleep yeah. while you're waiting on a long running activity and then it wakes up, it'll actually restore the state wow. and effectively kind of does sort of an async based, um, well, you know, that's really great. I mean, that's really great. That that covers a a whole host of problems yeah. that you might have all otherwise gone to work role for. And you know, we're starting to do other things where we've integrated. Uh, we have some really rich API management services inside Azure. Mm. And so, let's say you want to expose an API for others to call. Um, you can do things like rate limiting, or sure, you can yeah. basically do quotas so that you know you don't have one person that takes down your system because they're calling it a million times. Yeah, yeah. And, and however accidentally or deliberately that may, but we did a show on yeah. it with Vicious Lele, I think, yes. about especially that particular feature. And yeah. the and the whole thing is you don't have to decide at the beginning. Correct. I'm going to need to put this service in. Yeah. yeah. It's almost like you built it internally. Then suddenly there's a need for external customers. Mm. Well, how are we going to expose this? And well, here's this service that that's what this is for yep. and it provides the identi- ability to create external identities that, that and and you can heck you can bill out on it if you want and yep. you can rate limit and you can have some certainty that's not going to cripple a service API yeah. management totally yeah, yeah. love it it's good stuff uh one of the more recent things that was announced uh was the visual studio app center and i just think that's it's a little almost it's a very broad viewpoint and this is less about you know, services for your software as it is services for your development process, mm-hmm. which I think is a whole other aspect of Azure. I think that, that makes a huge difference for folks. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, generally one of the things we're trying to do with just Visual Studio all up is, you know, how do we uh, move beyond just being an IDE, sure, to really thinking about the end-to-end developer lifecycle. Mm-hmm. And you know, obviously with with first TFS and then Visual Studio Team Services in the cloud, you know, we've gone to a model where you know, we're thinking a lot more about, you know, issue tracking, Kanban board, yeah. project management, agile, CI, CD. Yeah. The real application management lifecycle. Yeah. Right? And, and, you know, the extent that we can stitch all those things together, you know, you obviously use them independently, but the, to the extent that, that, you know, we can help a team basically 
adopt to modern DevOps or modern agile based practices. Right. Um, you know, it's just as important as Intel sensor debugging in the core editing experience. We were, we were laughing about, you know, we haven't done a show with you since 2013, but I remember that show and I remember us being together at NDC. Mm-hmm. And one of the things you said at the time was, I really want Azure to be a place where people fall into the pit of success. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Like that, that, yep. that there's only the e- path of least resistance results in goodness. In goodness. Yeah. And so, you know, taking on the ownership of that pipeline like again yep. you don't have to own the plumbing you can plug in the bits and let us make some suggestions for you of where these yep. things would mm. go together yeah. so that you you certainly can't go wrong and you'll probably be your better self yep. in the process <laughs> you yep. know you make it super easy to drop some good automated testing in that pipeline yep. and a good real coherent mechanism for oh you want to shorten up these test cycles here's how you disassemble the set of tests and run it across multiple instances like all that stuff seems to be there it's just literally like a shopping list you yeah. don't have to think of it research it or invent it yeah and you know it's it's not like we've done we do everything for you but the more you can come up with the patterns that that are based on you know real world customers that are doing real world large-scale stuff and if you can then take that pattern and again package it up so that you know people that just use the product fall into what I call the pit of success as right. opposed to the pit of failure, which is, mm-hmm. you know, where they accidentally do stuff. We had a few of those along the way. I had but, a year um, like that once. Actually. Yeah. It's, it just, it just means that when you start to do something big, you kind of go realize, geez, it's not so hard to do it. Yeah. And so we talked about Cosmos DB, we talked about serverless functions. You know, both those are great examples. I think of, you know, if you build a simple function that gets called, let's say once a second, mm-hmm. um, yeah, the pattern that we guide you towards with serverless functions where you don't share state across the function invocations, you don't have your own dispatcher, you don't have you know your own pool of VMs that you're managing stuff means that when you get to get the point where instead of one per second, you're doing a million per second. Right. Mm-hmm. You don't have to change the code. Yeah. yeah. The code's um, still right. The code's still right. Yeah. So, you know, same with Cosmos DB. Right. I can just scale it up. And I think the same is very much true for, you know, the 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 tools that we provide with the Visual Studio family in terms of guiding people towards that. And App Center is a great example of, you know, if you're building native mobile apps, again, it's not just about the front end. Mm-hmm. And obviously with Xamarin and, and a lot of the other investments were focused on the front end. Yep. But it really is sort of, okay, well, how do I do continuous integration so that every time I make a check-in, I'm building it not just on my dev machine, but actually on a CI server right how do i test it so that i know my app works not just with the latest version of android and the latest version of ios but that last version or that random point version that still four percent of my users are using yep um you know how do i run on different screen form factors mm-hmm. you know there's the iphone 10 but there's also new smaller um, less expensive ios phones yep you know, buying all of those and having them and testing your apps yeah. manually is tough. And so, you know, with App Center, we basically have now, I can't remember how many thousand, I think we have over a thousand different phones in our cloud and they're racked up in a data center. That's Xamarin's old test cloud. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's yeah. all the old test cloud this. stuff. Yeah. And so yeah. now I've, I've seen every build, pictures of that. I mean, it's literally these wire racks, yep. phone mm-hmm. side by side, cameras mounted above them. Yep. It's really an odd little world that they. It's a, it's a pretty amazing thing, and, you know, and the beauty is, you know, you just submit your your test and then watch it. When you're looking at those videos, those are actual phones actually running your software yeah. and being different. It's funny. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? It must be that happy time again. Yeah. It's time to check out my Cosmos DB logs to see how many people just turned off this show. Billions. And billions. <laughs> 
Billions. You Carl, you, you, you I, Carl you, Sagan. That's right. You Saganize yourself. A channeled Carl Sagan. There you go. Uh, it's actually time to give away a D-Experience subscription from DevExpress to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. And check out their DevExtreme React grid, built from the ground up to fully support all the cool features that come with React, like the virtual DOM and state controllers like Redux and all that stuff. It supports master detail, sorting, grouping, paging, and editing, and you can check it out and test it for free on GitHub. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial of DevExpress Universal at devexpress.com slash superhero. Well, all right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Simon Spector. Congratulations, Simon. Yes. I'll clap for you, sir. Simon just won the D-Experience subscription, a big pile of awesome from our friends over at DevExpress, just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you don't know what that is, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors, and every December we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the fan club, but you got to sign up to win. Now you know what's coming. Uh, we like to ask our guest, Scott, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you buy? Azure Credit. <laughs> <laughs> I bet he has a bunch. I think I'm just guessing. I think I maybe. Know. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think probably something in the IoT space. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's amazing what you can now do. Yeah. Um, I just, you know, uh, uh, one of my kids has got the, the new Sphero EDU device it's you know it's like a hundred bucks uh, what is that i don't it's, know what it is it's basically it's like this circular uh ball that can roll on the ground and spin oh, and oh, make okay. noise and all that stuff all right and you bluetooth pair it to a tablet and you can basically both in script as well as sort of a block-based programming program the thing to move around in different ways oh yeah and, you know and, and react when it bumps into something oh, yeah. and stuff and so you know it's it, it's kind of you huh. know, it's, it's it's perfect for kids that want to get into tech, but it's amazing just looking at this device that is got a gyroscope and can actually like move and navigate around rough terrain. That would, I just think that like, this thing is now so cheap versus like five years ago, this thing would have cost a fortune. Mm. And you know, I think with a lot of the IoT equipment that's coming out, you know, it can do air quality, it can do light, it can do perception, it can do voice, it can do listening. Like the ability to get some of these cool devices, it's, it's pretty awesome. You know, Scott Hansman is doing this talk about the artificial pancreas today. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, he's bringing all these different boards because he's a diabetic and, you know, just doing, showing off some of the hardware and some of the software. Mm. You know, it's, it's an amazing uh, solution that, that, you know, he's now using. Yeah. It, it's yeah, life changing cool. for people. Sure. And it's, it's, but, and for him, right? Yeah, like, and it's, it's this is his life that yeah. he's dealing with. I think there's a lot of other problems that just with a couple thousand dollars. Mm. I like to get a whole whole box full of those Sparrow things and sort of program a physical game that you could play yeah. <laughs> yeah. in a in a space designed for it. Yeah, I remember Sphero jumped on the scene. Like they've been around for a while. They built some interesting, cool. But it was when the new Star Wars came out yeah. and BB-8 yeah. appeared. And, of course, BB-8 in the movie was purely a CGI, 
you know, right. nothing real. Yeah. And you could never make that work. And the Sphero guys had one like within a month. <laughs> it's like, here it is. It's because we already, they already had the rolling ball. They yeah. just figured yeah. out the magnetic head and yeah. there they were. And so, and suddenly they've just been like, yeah, in the world. Like yeah. this is a set of products, and but they still have their original line. The Sphero line is very interesting. Yeah. It's just a That's great well, just experience. Sort of try to figure out how I could wire up more stuff in my home. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. And, you know, again, with the IoT now, it's, it's pretty straightforward to do it. Yeah. And very programmable. You you are only programming the glue a lot of times, yeah. right? A lot yeah. of interfacing and sticking different bits together. And then here and the only time the code shows up, I find myself writing more Python as glue stuff hmm. yeah. in my life in than, than real development. Not that I do any real development. Like We had this conversation the other day. It's like, right. when's the last time I opened up a blank coding screen to write code for somebody that was going to pay for it? Mm. That was a while ago. Mm. <laughs> but, yeah. but this weird little, I pick up a language to solve a particular problem and put it back down again. That's, that's the life today. Totally. Yeah. Uh, I just wonder if that's going to be normal from now on, that all of our kids... We'll have a little bit of programming chops because it's kind of how you solve problems in your house. Hmm. Yeah, and I think you know, in, you know, even some of these sort of different experiences, like uh, you know, Jake for Sphere, like they have a nice block-based programming model, which is you know, again, it's not general purpose and it's got limitations, sure. but but for that task, but for that type of task, and certainly for the you know for kids or education, it's great. There's also a really good site that we have called uh, MakeCode.com, yeah, which is yeah. Um, something my team actually does. And, you know, it, it's also a great tool for education and for uh, new developers. And it has both a block-based programming model as well as a TypeScript-based programming model. Nice. And what's cool is you basically build an app. There's a simulator. runs all in a browser. doesn't require any tools. And then you can download this little script from the app. And then there's a bunch of different hardware devices that you can buy. Uh, you know, they're $10, $15 mm. that you basically plug into the USB port of the computer and then you just save this file. It looks like a drive, and it programs the IoT equipment. Hmm. And then you can push a button, and things light up, or play sounds, or you can program the LED. And that, again, the ability to kind of capture someone's imagination, yeah, uh, especially someone who's new to programming. Yeah, you know, I just think of all the really, frankly, not very interesting programming problems mm -hmm. I had to do when I first started. You know, reversing linked lists, or uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> counting the words, or sorting words in a text file. Oh man! You know, now it's like. We can have BBA but that running around fun our house. Too, all right, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know that was. It's fun. fun too, but you had to kind of take. You know, you had to kind of imagine. I'm, I'm, I'm. Yeah, I'm doing abstract. this so that I can do something really interesting in the future. Yeah. Right. Um, and now, you know, I, I just love the fact that, you know, my seven year old who is definitely not interested in sitting down and learning raw sure. algorithms at this point, you know, can can get a little bit of that. Can cause, get a little bit of that and kind of go like, I want to be a programmer when I grow up. Yeah. And know that at that young age. So, what else is cool in Azure in preview that we might not know about it? Well, there's lots of stuff. Um, I mean, I think Azure here every yeah. <laughs> every week. There's something new, um, you know, and it's it's both in terms of new services, but then also um, you know just continual evolution and improvement and enhancement of existing services. Yeah, and um, you know, oftentimes you know the, the bulk of the innovations now coming with existing services, and the good news there it just means if you're already using the service, there's more features and capabilities mm -hmm. to leverage. But yeah. you know, a couple that I've been trying to point everyone at to make sure they're use they use is um, 
and I'm doing a talk even later today at this conference about it. Uh, it's the first tip I show is the Azure Advisor system, hmm. which I'm always amazed. It seems like less than 10% yeah. of people that use Azure, you're shaking your head. Yeah, I've never it. heard of it. No, I don't so know. basically, you click it. It's on the left-hand side of your portal. It's okay. called Advisor. And it launches um, an analysis service that basically will look at all your subscriptions and will come back and tell you what are the problems you have around high availability and how to be more reliable. Wow. What are all the security problems you have? Wow. How to actually save money and reduce your bill. And then um, the last thing it tells you is on a performance perspective, where are all the things that we've identified that you're probably running into a performance throttle? Wow. And you can optimize it. And it's and it's it's not like a white paper. It like literally is based on your telemetry and your system. And it's free, 100% free. And you can even, if you don't like one of the recommendations or you say, this makes, I got to do this, but it's the holiday season, I'm in lockdown. There's a snooze button and you just tell us, remind me in a month. And then when you rerun the tool, it'll show up again in a month Wow! and hide until then. And and it's, again, who doesn't want to no, that's, be more liable, be more secure, save money and get that, better perks? That's amazing. And so I reckon, and it's been in general availability for a year. How do we, how do we not know about this? <laughs> <laughs> so I definitely recommend if you're an Azure customer listening to the show, yeah. try it out. Uh, in fact, I'm going to go do it right now. Yeah. We're done. <laughs> uh, see you later. Yeah. yeah. Done recording. Yeah. Moving no, on. As soon as we're done, I'm going to run that. It's similar to the Azure Security Center is another one that's free. And, um, you know, for most of our customers that are using it, it basically identifies a whole bunch of places where they're not following security best practices. Sure. You know, they don't have role-based access control turned on. Mm. They've got ports open. Um, you know, analyzes their code? Uh, it analyzes basically how you've configured Azure. The infrastructure. And, yeah. um, you know, we can even tell, for example, are you encrypting your disks? Mm. Um do you, you know, are your, is your OS up to date? And so you can, you can opt in so that we can even take telemetry from your applications if you want to. So it's totally yeah, optional. Wow. And so, yeah, we can tell you, for example, you know, are there not just OS updates that you're missing um, for both Windows and Linux, but we can even tell you framework wise. And so, right. like, oh, wow. that open JDK security issue um, that various people ran into. You have the same problem. You should be updating yeah, yourself too. Your so you lead them to the patch too. Yeah, I remember, it's and great. I can't remember it's where free. you. <laughs> That's the other reason why. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, please use it. Please use it uh, because it. You know, we know if people build more secure apps, mm. they're more successful. And sure, and so and, you, and, you, and I got to think like the last thing you want is an app living on Azure that gets breached. Yeah. I know. I remember you saying, and I couldn't tell you where. Somebody asking you like, what keeps you up at night? And you said, a breach in Azure. Yeah. Sure. That security issues around Azure are like number one in your mind. And when I saw uh, Spectre and uh, what was the other one? Meltdown. And Meltdown. <laughs> and both variations of the same theme, which is that yeah. th that Intel processors do using look-ahead optimization to potentially expose data. I remember when I first read it thinking, this is what Scott was talking about. Not his fault at all, mm -hmm. but it's like if anybody figured out a way, and I can't imagine how you would actually exploit these vulnerabilities. Uh, if anybody figured out a way, like this is the nightmare scenario. And of course you guys are on top of it, yeah. but just to, I, can you walk me through that from your perspective? Cause I think that's gotta be, you must may have known about it for a while because it, it only came public, I think, in January. But yeah, I mean, in general, I mean, I think from a security perspective, I think the reason I said, you know, the, the thing that always keeps me up at night is, you know, really, it's it's around quality and making sure all the services are working. Sure, it's around security 
and it's making sure that we try to provide a, a good support experience. And so, you know, those are things that are independent of features that, yeah. that are paramount when you're running a service. Right. And, um, you know, and certainly on the security side, you can't be too paranoid. And no. so, you know, who I'm, would I'm have thought? Paranoid. And the funny thing is when you read the description of what happened there, you, you totally know how we got there mm-hmm. because doing predictive viewing, I mean, the process is so fast. You might as well do this because you're waiting anyway. But to add the security constraints into it, it's almost impossible in a lot of respects. Like they're literally going to have to redesign the chips to make this make sense. Yeah, and it's you know it's, it's the fact that it's been there for twenty years. Yeah, it shows and, how either, whoever is yeah. exploited. You know, I would presume since the NSA breach, the fact that it wasn't in that breach means nobody's exploited it. Yeah, I mean, we we certainly have no indication that anyone's exploited sure. it yet. But, you know, part of the thing that, you know, we obviously did as soon as we learned about it was trying to figure out, okay, well, how do we guarantee no one can exploit it? Sure. Right. And so... Um, and you guys being operating system guys, like you're in a place before the hardware is fixed to say, is there a way we can solve this? Yeah. And we were able to, you know, the day it, it became public, um, you know, deliver patches for right. Windows uh both client and server, mm-hmm. and, and then obviously for Azure, yeah. and and you know the trick, the trick you know, for something like Azure is you know we've got millions of servers, mm-hmm. and um, you know a fix like this is a fairly big thing, yeah, no kidding. And so you know it's it's not just from a how do you make sure people are secure, but just from a performance and correctness and quality perspective, yeah, yeah. How do they not have issues? And you know I think um, you know thankfully we found that our the, the mitigations we put in place that block the issue. Um, you know, we're, we're not seeing significant performance mm. feedback. We're not seeing really any performance. Well, there's lots feedback. of people who are saying that this is this will be a thirty percent performance hit on 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 our processors. And I, I I was looking at it as a skeptic, just going, "That's a pretty specific number. That seems unlikely." Well, different different <laughs> different ones of the issues have different performance impacts. Sure. So, like, um, you know, from a criticality perspective, meltdown, which um was basically the ability to Go outside your VM, right? And uh, that seemed like the one hypervisor. Like, this is a nightmare scenario. That's the nightmare cloud scenario. And thankfully, that one, from a performance impact perspective, is is relatively small, right? And that's the one that all the cloud vendors kind of rolled out immediately. Yeah, which Spectre um, was more of the cache based stuff. Well, the Spectre is basically think of it as intra VM, right? And so, in other words, inside your VM, uh, or inside you know a system that's hosting your app. Um, you know, can you have untrusted code read other processes memory right. or go from user mode process to the kernel of the VM, right. of the hypervisor? And, you know, that one at least, those types of Spectre mitigate or um, issues, at least there you've had to allow untrusted code yeah. into your app. The customer yeah. was part of the breach. They, yeah. they, you know, something or, went wrong for them too. Their credentials are yeah, involved. Yeah, or in general, I would say, you know, it's, it's, it's if you are running code inside your app mm-hmm. you're already at some risk yeah. you know independent of this exploit that if that code is malicious it could do something yeah. so in other words you know, people always say like oh my god what if my database vendor was evil could they exploit using yeah. the specter attack and get inside? why would they bother if they were evil they already have control that's what i always tell people is, is like yeah, yeah. you're right they could yeah but there's the easier is, ways there's easier ways for them to do evil things <laughs> <laughs> uh, because you've already put your data in their database, yeah. so so it's it's. But I don't mean to minimize because there are are cases where, especially if you're like you're a SaaS vendor mm-hmm. and you have an extension that someone uploads, you know, 
that's where you'd want to make sure that you're using the Spectre mitigations. Sure. Um, and for anything that's sort of multi-tenant inside a single VM, you want to be careful about it's it. So, so it's, it's definitely it's stuff that we, you know, obviously we had to take um, uh, very seriously and make sure that, that uh, we protect against. And it's, you know, I do think this overall hardware space is going to be an evolving security area. Sure. And I think mm. this is it's similar this is to the buffer of- overruns from 20 years ago. Yeah, you're exactly right. Where once people went, oh, I should be looking everywhere for buffer overruns. You kind of had a wave of attacks across products yep. as people found them. And I think now suddenly people are going, whoa. Let's spend more time in the micro. Let's the black spend, hats are looking at the micro code. Let's now do some pen testing of the hardware to see yeah. what else is, is available. And so it's, you know, it's, it's, um, you're, you're actually seeing that the security industry is getting more sophisticated at looking at potential risks. Yeah. I mean, I think certainly in terms of just, um, the, you know, the good news. And, and also the, then the bad news is, you know, the security industry is getting more and more sophisticated. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, on the, the bright side is that's true both on the offense, but also on the defense. Yes. And so, you know, things like the Azure Security Center that I described that well, you know, it, we make for free is that type of intel and that type of set of recommendations to protect your infrastructure would have been, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of consulting time. Sure. And would be something that you'd have to redo every month with new consultants mm-hmm. because in an on-prem world there's just no way to even gather the data yeah. and now yeah. in the cloud we can just literally push a button and it tells you in real time yeah what's you know, going on what's there. going on and the, this that ability, really changes the ability for you to be much more secure yeah the 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 few major cloud vendors azure being one of them have a view on computing worldwide that i think is unique now mm-hmm. that you simply can see things industry-wide that we can't otherwise see and it allows you to to i I do feel like the the detection and reaction to meltdown inspector feel like the white heads hats are ahead of the game that this was found and mitigated ahead of an exploit Hmm. yeah as far as we can as we know yeah Yeah. we'll never know absolutely sure but probably and it was you know the amount of people that knew it um, as early as they knew it. I mean, it is, it is pretty amazing that even though it, it was a be- basically leaked about a week before the official disclosure date, right. but at least it wasn't leaked four months before. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, the amount of vendors that had to do some pretty major surgery to react to it, mm-hmm. um, you know, it really was a very coordinated effort. And, you know, we even helped put together a, a meeting where we brought in, you know, a lot of the other big cloud OS and hardware right. vendors and actually did a kind of a summit on this particular topic and actually I know, imagine very much behind closed doors like oh yeah very much behind closed very, doors very exclusive club yeah and we basically even shared like you know here are the exploit proof of concepts that we've come up with right let's actually like share them so that we can all test it did anybody come up with ones different ones like just to sort of build the largest solution possible. Yeah, I mean, it was very much a you know, let's. This is not something that any of us want to try to use as a competitive as a commercial advantage. or competitive yeah. advantage. Like right. you don't do that That's with these types that. of issues. And everybody came to the table too. That so that speaks well for the good guys. Yeah, and I, you know, I think it's I think it it's a great example of the industry kind of working well together mm-hmm. and you know really trying to protect customers in the right way. And so just you know, and I think you know, in some ways, even just some of the connections we formed through this. Uh, most recent security issue. It's you know it's, it it's something where we can we can and do really try to share across. It's good the do different you, vendors on the security side to you make see sure those gatherings happening on a routine basis now just to stay ahead. Yeah, I mean sometimes it's not always gatherings, but it's you know once you 
talk to someone. Yeah. It's you know, trust established. In yeah. There. You, you can always reach out and say, sure. Hey, I've heard something. Have you heard this? Or, yeah. mm. and, um, you know, and I, and I do think again, it's, it's really kind of good news in the end. Really. Yeah. Customers win. Yeah. In that. Well, and I think, you know, we talk about characters, what shows in times of adversity, like this was an adverse moment and the character of the major players all showed that they came together yep. to, to fight the good fight, which is, you know, it's a, yeah. I don't know. We, there are parts of this world right now that are remarkably bumpy about that sort of thing. I kind of like it when we do the right thing for the right reason at the right time. Agreed. It's to remind ourselves that we, you know, we don't suck all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Because there's times it feels like we kind of suck as a civilization. Yeah. (laughs) But but these are the good pieces. Uh, I don't think we shouldn't get into an AI discussion at this point. It's kind of late in the show because it's a whole other topic area. Yeah, really. well, you definitely should come back and talk to us about that. Yeah. We have six minutes left. but uh, <laughs> It's kind of the wrong time to get into that. Are there any new sort of uh, redundancy um, features in Azure that we haven't heard about or, or any kind of uh, assured computing kind of things? Yeah, I mean, a couple of things, you know, that, that, that we've released over the last couple months that – you know, I want to make sure people take advantage of, you know, some of the new things around managed disks, uh, which provide a whole bunch of benefits in particular around, um, yeah, it's just easier to manage. This is in VMs? Yeah, with VMs. Right. You know, and I definitely recommend anyone that has a VM that was created in the past, you know, make sure you, you've converted to managed disks. You don't need to delete the VM. There's a you know, simple command you can run to actually convert your old disks. Wow. But one of the nice benefits around that is it ensures that your disks are distributed across separate storage clusters. Okay. Nice. And so that means, like, even if we were to lose a part of a data center or an entire storage cluster went down, mm-hmm. your app would still stay up. Nice. And, you know, it's a great kind of high availability feature that, you know, we've sa- seen, you know, adds an extra two nines to VMs in terms wow. of uptime. Wow. Um, and, uh, again, it's really easy to take advantage of, you know, our, our, our batch compute, Azure batch service, um, has been growing leaps and bounds. And one of the nice things it has is the ability to kind of schedule jobs. Mm. And so anytime you're trying to do something, you know, it's encoding a video or encoding of audio, mm. um, Definitely look at the Azure Batch service. And one nice feature that Azure Batch has now is what's called preemptible jobs. And so we'll give you a 70% discount if when you submit a job, we're allowed to interrupt the job if another high-priority job comes in. Yeah. And most times we don't interrupt it. Right. But But it's a batch job. You probably... You it's know, all, it's often very interruptible. Yeah. Yeah. And sure. again, if you it can has get a, to be done eventually, yeah. but not right now. If you can get a 70% Price discount wow. on your work that yeah. translates into real savings. Yeah, you're not offering a little discount. That yeah. is a big discount. Can those managed disks be easily uh, extended? Because I know that was a yep. that's a problem we uh, I had at least with system drives not being able. You know, they run out of space, and yep. you're kind of like, oh my god, what do I do? You can now? resize managed disks, and then also um, I know we support you know four terabyte disks now, wow. uh, whereas you know we used to have like a one terabyte limit. And you know, I think our goal this year is to get to 16 terabytes. <laughs> wow. Um, you can obviously stripe multiple disks together, but like once you have even four terabytes, you're kind of... So we want you to move out of the VM, but if you're not going to, we're going to make yeah. it as nice for you as possible. Yeah. yeah. I like that. Um, but yeah, yeah if you, after four terabytes, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's when you get a call. Uh, excuse me. I'd like to... Um, you know, other things we recommend people check out uh, would be the reserved instances that we shipped 
late last okay. year. What's that? Um, basically, if you've got a VM that's running, um, you know, take this, the one that you're using, mm. you know, for still for 20% of your up. Mm. Uh, if you kind of say, well, gosh, I'm going to run this for a year. You basically go to, go to the portal and you say, I want to buy a reserved instance and we'll lower the price in some cases up to 70%. And, oh, you reserve it for amount of time, and in return you're basically going to say, "I'm going to use it for a year." Yeah, right. Um, so if it's something it for a year. you think you're going to turn off tomorrow, don't buy a reserved instance. Sure. Okay. But but right now pricing is based on you can turn it off whenever you want. Yeah. Yep. So if you can give you can give a commitment because you know you're going to keep running it, you're going to get us a deal. And you can That's either great. one year or a three year commitment. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's nice is it's not tied to a specific VM. That's sort of a nice sort of difference versus some of our competitors. Wow. And so you just sort of. Uh, you can you can assign the reserve. You know, basically, you buy let's say five RIs, mm-hmm. uh, which is reserved instances. Um, and let's say you run seven VMs. We'll apply it to five of the VMs, and then you'll pay the standard mm-hmm. you know, rate for the others. So that's, that's so cool. Rate for the others, and then um, so it's, it's you know it's a really nice way you can save money. Yeah. Um, you know, other things I'd kind of recommend is check out our new cloud in cost management. Uh, it's a company we bought um, this past summer. And we've made free for all Azure customers. And so you basically just pump your bill through there and it will basically give you tons of analysis on how to save money. Wow. Uh, you can tag individual resources now in Azure. So you could say like, this is for .NET Rocks. This is for a different show. Right. This is for dev test. And so it'll help flow. me construct a cost of service for yeah. a given product it's across. Called, yep. It's called what now? Uh, it's called Cloudin. Cloud in. Uh, but basically, you just go to the Azure portal, click on cost and management on the left-hand side, okay. and there's a link to it. And eventually, we'll integrate it into the overall experience. But we basically, within about a month of buying it, integrated it. wasn't it? It was an acquisition, yeah. yeah. And um, and yeah, we're seeing a huge uptake amongst Azure customers. But it again, it, it helps you identify underused, underutilized resources. And then even for enterprises, you can do internal chargebacks yeah. and generate yeah, effectively that's where I was going with it. chargeback PDF reports or Excel spreadsheets sure. that you can give to departments. Well, it also gives you an incentive to, is it worthwhile optimizing this? Yeah. Like, are we seeing enough billing? It's like, this exactly. seems to be costing more than it needs to. Is yeah. it worth? Because cycles for evaluation and, and for tuning are expensive. Yep. So it's and then, until you feel like you can move a number substantially, yeah. what's the point of even looking? And we talked about uh, CI/CD and DevOps earlier. Yeah. The other thing to, to go check out in the Azure portal is you go click the new button, and then there's a DevOps project that shows up. Uh, that's just um, we did a bunch of updates even last week on that, mm. and that basically walks you through a wizard to set up a full CI/CD DevOps. Uh, even if you don't have VSTS installed, it'll create the account. Wow. And you pick your language and your framework, and we'll even put in a default repository with sample tests huh. and a build pipeline setup. Wow. And in about three minutes, you can have a full continuous integration delivery model with testing with an app service. Oh, that's stuff we used to charge our customers for, Scott. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, we'll still charge them, but we'll do it in three minutes and then go have a beer. That's it. Exactly. Don't, don't show it to them for a day. Yeah. <laughs> so that's all some new stuff in the last that's few months. very cool. Nice. Um, and then the new availability zone support uh, that's now in preview for Azure, you know, gives you, going back to your, reliable, you know, your availability aspect, you know, mm-hmm. that basically means, you know, even if, you know, a data center burned down, mm. your app would stay up uh, because we basically distribute your services um, and infrastructure across multiple isolated buildings. So one building is the parity building, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Ray joke. <laughs> oh, it's getting geekier in the room today. <laughs> 
Oh, well. Oh, well so. it, this has been great talking to you. It's been too long since we talked. Yeah, we could do it again more often. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. No, thanks again, Scott. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. You bet. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band.